0: And we are back again like we never left. Welcome back, everyone. Me and Senor Langeois want to say hello. How are we doing? What's going Good on? man?
1: How are you doing? You all right?
0: I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. We've got flashcards on the way. We're one sponsor away, then we're fucking sorted. I'm so excited. They look great. They look amazing. And the support's been unreal. So thank you, everyone, for showing an interest. Thank you, all the businesses getting involved. The future is bright, and the future is white, and red with an Aztec pattern, which looks sick. We have a lot of sponsors on there now, so future is bright looking so good, looking good. where do we even go from that you know it's all the way down from that we have peaked but yeah. so if it's uh, anything mma related what is normally synonymous with mma mr conor mcgregor <laughs> mr mcgregor obviously the one who is um, washed up and his career's over and everything's done and dusted <laughs> go on star in, for listening.
1: And he's he's washed up already he's done Game over, it's finished. So
0: <laughs> that's that done anyway. So yeah. we'll skim through the cards as well, because again, we know there's been there's a lot of cards happening and going on and yep. everything else. So the McGregor card in itself, mixed bag of results. Obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, I now am one Nando's and one vegan pizza company Richer, and I'm much happier for it. I forgot to remind you of that. So nice little sort of sting a twist of the knife there. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> But regards of how it panned out, regards of expectations. So we talk about Chandler Hooker. What yeah. was it you saw happening in this fight? Obviously, I'm not going to be that guy. But you, what did you expect to happen in this fight versus expectation? Regards of strategy versus execution. What sort of thing did you expect versus what happened?
1: I expected a bit more of a dog fight. You know, Dan Hooker is always in these kind of you know technical brawls. He likes to brawl. You know, he likes to he likes to fight. The guy, you know, he's, he's you know that that Dustin Poirier fight was his typical sort of like his favorite kind of fight you know sort of like a bit of a gunfight gun slug it out a little bit but obviously with a technical uh, te- technicalness to it because he's not just a brawler he's like you very very technical but you know um, he can brawl and he likes to brawl so i was i was hoping and obviously expecting um, and because he's got such a great chin as well you know he's been hit by by some you know big hitters in the game you know Poirier for one and 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 other people and, you know, he's been in there and, and again, had, you know, full on wars like the Porio fight. So I was expecting, I, I thought Chandler would kind of come in with the game plan that he did, sort of stick on the outside, uses, you know, he's so athletic. Um, so I kind of expected him to, to go down that kind of r- route um, for a game plan sort of thing. But I, I honestly thought Dan Hooker would sort of weather the early storm, take him into you know, a bit of deeper waters and actually make it a bit of a firefight with, uh, with with Chandler. But obviously, that didn't happen, did it?
0: Now, when we say about the wars and everything else, there's a term Gage used quite nicely, basically calculated chaos, that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, for anyone who's not familiar with that sort of terminology and what it really means, so when you see these sort of mad flurries, as you'd imagine, it's very overwhelming. It's very like not the technical, crisp sort of you know, straight full extension, chin tuck, this, out and the other. It's very overwhelming. It's the proper pressure testing. Now, Mm. if you're applying that, you know when you can take it off, you know what you're throwing. So the reason these guys use it quite nicely, because you get strikers as such from a specific discipline versus MMA strikers. And this sort of unorthodox, you set them off balance to set up what you really want, whether it's a takedown, whether it's getting in, getting out, just overwork them. Now, this is where I felt Chandler was really efficient with this. Because again, Mm. if you're with someone of that kind of range, albeit defensive wrestling, this kind of stuff, Getting a striking fight with someone that kind of range advantage is asking for an ambiguous bullshit judge's decision. But again, regardless of whether an early storm, it's that kind of pace, that kind of pressure. And again, the urgency, trying to close that space so nicely. And as good as Dan Hooker's defensive wrestling is, I think the amount of attention to that overwhelmed the sort of striking defense as such. So concerned with the potential shoot that could be there. It was just yeah. completely like, I don't know, not, not. Acknowledged as such, but not prioritised. Am I right in saying that? Would you agree with that?
1: No, no. I 100% agree with that. um obviously there was a lot made of obviously Chandler's wrestling coming into this you know people are saying that you know you know he's going to be one of the toughest tests for Khabib if he ever comes back because he's got such good American style wrestling and even in the interviews like leading up obviously he's talking about Dan Hooker but he's also talking about fighting Khabib and he's talking about I'd love to see how my all American you know American style wrestling goes up against you know the Degasani style wrestling so you know there's a a lot of talking to that and I think that was probably of just, I was part of maybe like a little bit of a mind games on Chandler's part, which I think he played perfectly, obviously, because Mm. like you say, it got Dan Hooker just thinking about the wrestling. And then Dan Hooker's obviously, everything he was saying was, I've got great takedown defense, you know, I'm I'm made for these type of fights, you know, I've, I've, I've built my game around stopping people taking me down, which completely just, you know, with that sort of like mental mental sort of game going in, thinking, right, I'm going to have to stuff the first few takedowns and then I can turn into, you know, a a nice fucking fight at the end, sort of second to third round. Um, I think, like you say, just caught him cold, completely caught him cold. Um, Not not that he wasn't, not respecting Chandler's power or striking, Mm. he just didn't expect it that early on. And obviously, like you say, Chandler just played the game perfect, stayed out of the range. Like you say, staying away from that long range that, that um, Hooker has got, and then yeah, just exploded. Uses athleticism. Yeah, I can't get my words out today, but using the abilities he's got because he is—he's—he's he's, you know—he's so athletic um, at one fifty-five. He's not the tallest of guys, but he's got—he's got them long arms, and he's got that such explosive power. So he used that to stay in and out, stay in and out, and then when he was ready, he just exploded and, and caught him clean. And that—that that was that.
0: I mean, that was the thing of beauty in itself. I mean, this is where what you're saying, then this sort of mind games, I think this is part of the, the Khabib sort of side of this conversation where it gets interesting. So the all-American, emphasizing the American side of it. Because he's fought Americans. he's yeah. fought a of Americans, but the, the premise of, of building a fight, you need a good versus evil, so to speak. You need yeah. the, we're the good, we're the Americans trying to, you know, get some freedom to somewhere else or whatever else. And you get these yeah. sort of opposing kind of East versus West, kind of rocky yes kind of idea. But again, oh, should... he's trying to build a fight. And as well, what he said after the fact was... Sp- spot on. Like if you fight, if he fights maybe 29 and Chandler, it's not I didn't fight to re- for people's respect, that sort of thing. I know Poi said a similar thing in itself, but again, highlighting this that if you put him on that pedestal, you put yourself out of that conversation. Because the whole line between being being respectful versus being self-like dismissive as such, that's where you talk yourself out of a contract, you talk yourself out of title contention. Again, it's it's finding that sweet spot, which I think he just did perfectly. His like, eloquence in the mic was absolutely spot on. Now, yeah. The the washout versus the, the diamond. <laughs> Talk to me regards of well before we get into the fight itself, the casual reaction to it. Do you think McGregor is washed out after losing I think is it the fifth fight he's lost in his career? I think so. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's definitely not washed out. Come on. Um but, you know, the casual fan out there is now, they've seen him lose to Khabib, tapping out. They've seen him get stopped by TKO, by, you know, Justin Poirier, and and, and that's it now. He, you know, he's lost two fights in a row, and it's his game over, you know what I mean? He might as well just end it. Um, <laughs> so that's the kind of, you know, the senses when it comes to a a, a, um, a casual fan at the minute. But it's uh, I, it's crazy, some of the things I've been seeing and hearing on the internet at the moment with we've, we've, uh With McGregor, it's crazy. But he is far, far, far from washed out. I mean, looks-wise, when he first came on the scales and films like that, he looked great, so he looks in good shape. Um, I still think he might have some cardio issues. Um, I don't know whether that was more... Not so much that he hasn't got the cardio, because he has. I just think the fact that he's not been in there for longer than 40 seconds in the last three years... And it's played a big part. I know Dominic Cruz always goes on about, he doesn't believe in ring rust, but ring rust is there. And 40 seconds in three years is not enough case time. And not, not taking anything away from Justin Poirier at all, because it was an amazing performance and he did absolutely you know perfect what, what he should have been doing. Um, but that that ring rust definitely played a huge part in in what happened to McGregor there, Simon.
0: And this is in itself, again, there's a very case by case kind of principles. Yeah. Uh, albeit, you know, Dominic Cruz was able to come back after X amount of time and beat and fight like Cody Garber and the quality did, Faber, favor all this sort of stuff. Case by case, it's irrelevant. 100%. Oh, but again, it, it's, there's so many factors in this. It's a different fight. So if you compare their first fight, McGregor Poirier, different attitude for the whole thing. We t- we're talking about people with different experience at that stage, different motivations, different backgrounds. You're going yeah. from not, not desperate, dust, def, desperate dust and diamond, but sort of diamond di- there. There's a lot of D's in there. Dustin from a <laughs> place of, again, not desperation, but again, like really hungry, chasing after it, literally trying to get to a point where he can build a career and establish some sort of like, you know, income for his family to Dustin, the well-respected, established fighter who's got a source of income. And now he's yeah. hungry to, you know, get his validation. Very different person at that point. McGregor, he's up and hungry for the first belt, then the champ, champ, all this sort of stuff he's hungry for. And now after achieving that, he's. there's an Arnold expression that the wolf at the top of the hill isn't as hungry as the wolf climbing the hill. That once you get to that point, it's then what? And this is where it gets strange. The fact he's... What McGregor said quite eloquently, I felt, was... It's so nice he wants to do it twice or this sort of thing. Like he's got another ambition to then come back and do it maybe 170 or whatever else. So a neck a next sort of big overarching goal that people sort of will say, oh no, it's not possible, the naysayers. And like I think before he became champ champ, he lost the first fight of that year and then ended up being champ champ or something. So it was one of those sort of comments. So to compare the first fight to the second one, it's apples and oranges, it's almost irrelevant. But it'd be interesting to see if there's a trilogy with that. Which is my next question for you. Do you think the trilogy is next for um, those two?
1: My God. Um, There's so many fights that could be made lightweight at the minute. You know, um, we still don't know if Khabib's actually retired or not yet. He's not come out and said 100% yes or 100% no. You know, he left it up to when when him and Dana White were meant to go in that room and have the big talk... um, and then he came out of it and he was supposed to be a, a yes or no at that, that point. And then he came out and said, well, if he see something that excites him, then he'll come back. Um, you know, I don't know whether he saw anything exciting because we've not heard anything since. So it's kind of been left now and it's, we still, we're still kind of up in the air, whether, you know, whether the belt is available or whether it's still Khabib's or whether he's coming back or, um, and then obviously you've got all the lightweights in the minute, you know, I think, the majority of the top ten could probably beat each other on that night, you know. And especially when it comes to the top five or six in the in the division at the moment, you know, we got Charlie Olives knocking on the door. He's on a is it an eight fight or even maybe more fight mm-hmm. win streak. Um, he definitely deserves a shot, you know. And, and Justin Poirier's come out and said that you know Charlie Olives. You know, he's he's paid his dues, he's been through the UFC, he's had ups, he's had downs, and now he's on a eight-fight win streak, and the majority of them wins coming from finishers as well. So, you know, he, he's definitely up there. Um, Chandler being the old champ from Bellator, now coming across, obviously looking very impressive on his on his debut. Um, so he's right, right up there knocking on the door. You've obviously got Justin Poirier, which I think you know is the uncrowned champ right now at the moment, personally. Um, and then you've got McGregor, he's just got the star power that he's, he's always going to be up there in in the talks. You know, he's got the star power, but he does have the skills as well. It's like, you know, everybody talks about McGregor being the most famous MMA fighter. He's still one of the best MMA fighters, whether he's lost this one or not. He's still up there. He's still got the skills to put anybody to sleep. Um, Justin Puri even said in the post-fight interview that, in the first round, McGregor hit him with one and he's, he's, his head buzzed and it went a little dark. He, he said he had that, that vision where it goes, boom, sort of, mm-hmm. you know, if anybody knows when they've been hit with a, a clean shot in sparring, and you kind of go, and it's like, everything kind of closes in around you. And he, he literally said, he said if McGregor had hit me with maybe one or two more clean shots, he was like, I would have been out. It was like, but he managed to obviously hide it, poker faced it, and, and then, you know, went to work on McGregor. Um, so he's obviously there as well. And then you've got, you know, Dan Hooker he's still not out of this. Um, I actually literally just watched an interview like 30 seconds before we started this um, about Dan Hooker, because I've had a question in my head over the last week of um, has he retired or has he not? Because I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but he took his gloves off and put them down in the middle of the cage um, straight after the fight um and um, but he's, he's come out on an interview finally now it took a week for him to, to to get onto an interview and he's actually said that it was a kind of a spur of the moment thing and yes he thought right that's it that's me game over i'm finished and then he sort of went back to his hotel room thought about it and was like well i can't do anything else <laughs> he was like i've got i've got no other skills in life so he's he's either a fight or i don't do anything so he's obviously making jokes about it, but um, yeah, he, he's, he's definitely not finished. So I'm, I'm happy with that because I, I love watching Dad Hooker fight. So, and, you know, there's so many people and obviously we've not even mentioned Gaethje. You know, he's right up there as well. So there's so many great fights to see. Um, do I want to see a, and do I want to see a McGregor, Justin Poirier trilogy straight away? I don't know if we should see the trilogy straight away just yet. Um, I'd like to see McGregor have maybe another fight before that. Um, to be honest, if Khabib is finally retired, I'd like to see Justin Poirier get the next title shot. And I don't think McGregor deserves it. Um, as much as I am a McGregor fanboy, I always have been. Um, and I, I probably always will be. I, I love the way he was before. I love the way he is now and, and, and the way he fights and everything else. But he doesn't deserve that title shot, even though he is the biggest star in MMA and he, and he would make the most money for the UFC, to to put him straight back in for a trilogy of a title shot because it's got a great storyline, but um, I don't think personally he deserves it. And like I say, I would like I would prefer to see probably Charlie Olives take it against Dustin Poirier. That would be my 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 favorite fight for the title if Khabib isn't coming back.
0: I agree with that wholeheartedly. And a point I would like to make on this is Poirier didn't get a rematch straight away. He had to get up to a certain degree where they they pass the, according to the title contention, which yep. then is the way to get these rematches. Lynette Diaz's fight and the rematch was purely novelty and exhibition. Yes. Was, There's was nothing other than that. There's no title contention, nothing like this. This, nope. to keep any integrity in the sport, McGregor needs to fight a few more times and then either fight Poirier out of his own pride or for a title, depending on the sort of trajectory. But it doesn't yep. make sense to do it straight away, especially why would... The, na- the nature of these rankings and the way you fight and go up, three beats two, three becomes two, and two becomes either three or four, depending on where four and five went. And it yep. doesn't make sense to then go back on yourself because then there's no point in having the leaderboards in the rankings unless no. you get someone with star power and it overwhelms it. But the nature of star power, it needs some integrity because you get these yes. sort of cash cows. You get people who've got these novelty knockouts and then they sort of have a stinkers next few fights and get cut and disappear. You get people who are great to impress, but their fights are a bit decision worthy and a bit like underwhelming. And you get these sort of flash in the pans who do really well for a couple of fights in a row and then what? But then you get someone who's got a bit more, they come back from the losses, they show their sustainable value. Yep. And then you show the extra added star power. McGregor, if he wins next two or three, title fights, because essentially he could fight. I don't know who he could fight next. Probably um, Ferguson, I'd imagine. Or maybe even Gaethje, because again, Gaethje came off a loss to Khabib. For him to then come back up in that that ranking again, it just seems like almost getting a buy in a competition. It's not like you've, yes, you. Yes, you're in that conversation in the first place, but you've been knocked out of that competition. You have to re-earn your stripes a little bit because yeah. as yeah, much yeah. as you want to say, okay, yeah, you went from number one to title contention back to number one, that's not really how it works as a rule. Because the no. number two? Who won? You <laughs>
1: Yeah, especially not after a fight like that. Mm. He got finished in the second round, halfway through the second round. You know, it wasn't like it was a a split decision after five rounds, you know, back and forth fight. You know, if it was a five round back and forth split decision like the Poirier, Dan Hooker or, or something like that, then maybe you could talk about a trilogy fight because it was close. You know, some people say McGregor won. Some people will say Poirier won. Mm. So close, then yeah, go for it. Okay, have another five rounds to, to sort of settle the difference. You know, everybody thinks it's a split decision. Some people think you won. Some people think the other person won. Another five rounds, you know, etch it out yourself and, and, and find out who wins. So a close fight, then I would, you know, I would say possibly there is a, a, a chance for the trilogy fight straight away. But the way he was finished and the way the whole fight went, then I just don't see – well, he just doesn't deserve it. Talking of trilogies, though, and talking of Nate Diaz, now he's said that he's coming back down to 155. There's no opponent been mentioned anything yet. That would be an interesting one. Do him and McGregor again. That still has got the star power, obviously, because it's a trilogy. They are 1-1. Um, Nate Diaz hasn't fought in the, the 55 rankings You know, he's not in the rankings. He hasn't fought at 55 for for a long time. You know, McGregor needs, you know, he needs a big fight, obviously, because it is McGregor. He always has to have a big fight. Um, That would be a really good fight for, for both of them to come back. Nate to bring himself back into the fifty one fifty five and 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 you know if he won then that's a statement and then he's pushing on for what he wants maybe a title shot or or a big fight with somebody else in the 55. And obviously McGregor it, it gives a bit of the story. It kind of underlines the, the trilogy you know it kind of settles that sort of discussion as well. So that would be an interesting one. What do you think of that?
0: So I think that fight makes the most sense and the reason I want to say this now because although Nate isn't in the lightweight top fifteen, McGregor really isn't it isn't in it as such. If you see him, mean, he's in his own separate kind of star power. Yeah. He's either yeah. on or he's off. If he's on, he's got title shots, he's got all he wants. But yeah, if of he's course. off, he can't get that with the same kind of response from the fans everyone now saying you're just for loss, you just come up a loss while you're getting the titles bullshit. So what you need in that place is either a big name, but the big names are already title contention, doesn't make sense. So he needs yeah. novelty. You need someone who's gonna you know, stir the pot. Because again, the Nate Diaz fight in the first place stirred the pot, got his name out there, came back from adversity, gave him that kind of moment of, okay, he's in this for his own integrity outside of everything else. This was, he lost the hype, but outside of that, he wanted that fight at the same weight to make sure the principal point that he is in this. Yeah, That was the McGregor that everyone started to respect. And this is why that fight makes the most sense. Because if he fights Ferguson or whoever else and beats them, it kind of, it, it, just, it just seems a bit arbitrary almost. Because again, wins against other people who you haven't lost to as such. It doesn't have the same kind of, when it's McGregor especially, it, it doesn't make sense because the way you see the lightweight division at the minute, it's almost like a knockout tournament. Say there's the like eight of them. You don't really see a lot of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When you must um, say you don't get a lot of like the, the bronze medal kind of matches. It's kind of, I don't give a shit. Yeah. It is, it's no, the novelty's gone, you've knocked out. There's something completely different at this point. Yeah, so It makes sense to earn that stock back up, remind people what's up. So I know the fight is absolutely spot on. Yep. Now, regards of the lightweight division in general, there's a few interesting sort of changes in itself. And stylistically, who have you got now for the lightweight champ? Khabib's out the picture. Until he's come back, we're not going to mention him. Until he says anything.
1: I, what, who I would like to see.
0: Who do you think is going to be the lightweight champ? Because we can have the ultimate Nandos on this.
1: <laughs> um, do you know what? I honestly don't know at the minute. It's so open, the lightweight division, with the top, you know, six to eight fighters. Um, like I, said, like I said earlier, you know, I think literally anybody could beat anybody on that day. Mm. Um, I would love to see Justin Poirier be crowned champion. Um, I personally think he should have been on Saturday anyway, because I don't think Khabib's going to bother coming back. Why, 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 why would he? Um, you know, he, he's literally manhandled the, the, the whole division. The only person that he, he hasn't manhandled is Chandler. I would like to see that fight, but I don't know if that's going to happen. So if we take, like I say, taking him completely out of the equation, I would love to see Poirier be crowned champion. Um, I would like to see more of Chandler. Um, I've seen him obviously in his Bellator and stuff like that, but Bellator and UFC is a whole different league. Um, And especially when it comes to the the top of the division. So we're talking about the top five now. Um, So I, I would like to see Chandler in another fight before he goes for the title. Um, So personally, my favorite fight for the title fight would be Charlie Olives and Poirier. And I would probably have Poirier winning that. Um, And then, I don't know, Gaethje Chandler. And then the winner of that gets the next title fight. That would, that would be my sort of like, decision on, on on the matchmaking. I, I don't think that's going to happen. And I, I've also read something that Poirier is saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not fussed at the minute. I'm going to step back, let Charlie Olives and Chandler go at it, and whoever wins that, then I'll think about fighting the winner after that. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to see how it goes. What What's your thoughts on that?
0: My heart says Poirier, my head says Chandler. It's cool. one of these ones where Charlie Olives, he's the dark oh, yeah. horse of the division. He's one of these where no one cares that much, but everyone knows he's good. He's sort of in the conversation because he's earned it. But no one really—he's not there on star power and fan power. And like you know, I don't know why he's one of these people that even though we know how good he is, we've seen how good he is, I still don't really care. I don't know why. Some people you really <laughs> get behind. Like Poirier. Yeah. You, if you've seen the Fightville documentary, you try not give a shit about Poirier. You try not cry when you see him do well. He's one of these ones you really want him to do well. Yeah. And Charno as well. You hear him on different like podcasts. You hear him talk about things. You hear him. I don't know everything he says. He's just, he's likable and he's well rounded in and outside the cage. But yeah. Again, Charlie, I just don't give a shit. It's really weird. He's he's top. He definitely could easily be the champion. He could go <laughs> yeah. undefeated for like the next couple of fights. But I yeah. can't guarantee I'd care yet. I don't know why. He's one of these. It's really strange. I know. I know. It's really it's such a shame because everything's there on a plate. He's not even like he's ingenuine. He's just. I think is he beat Ferguson. It really upset me. <laughs> but to be <laughs> fair, he was mentally defeated in the first <laughs> round according to Tony. So you know, <laughs> yeah. to haunt him. <laughs> but we move on. So we'll put the, the UFC on the back burner just for now. Yeah. There's a few things I wanted to sort of go into, and this came up on a few Instagram posts. And I want to hear your verdict on this. What makes a casual fan?
1: What makes a casual fan?
0: How do you define someone as a casual? Let me let me rephrase it. A filthy casual,
1: <laughs> filthy casual. Sorry, um, speckled my throat a little bit. I guess it would be somebody that's you know, a casual fan is somebody that if you mention the UFC, they straight away go, "Oh yeah, that McGregor guy." That that's that's my first yeah. sort of instinct when somebody says mentions the word casual fan. It's it's literally just. Casual fan McGregor. That that's that's the way I link it together. Somebody that, that doesn't really know the ins and outs of the division couldn't name you all the champions. But as soon as you sort of mention MMA or UFC, the first thing that pops out of the mouth is is McGregor. What about you?
0: See the McGregor UFC kind of thing. I like that as like a reference point. But I kind of I see it more like a universal comparison. Like not universal comparison. Like it's a reference point as such. Like okay. Are you, do you ever watch the UFC? What's the UFC? Oh, McGregor. Oh, yeah, I've seen that the cage fighting stuff. And they mentioned so and so, this that and the other. I think it's like a yeah. bit of a synonymous as such. But I defined it more so someone who doesn't respect what goes into the sport behind the scenes. Not so much can name certain fights who have seen X1 Y, because you know, have you seen like GSP Sarah? Have you seen, you know, Anderson, you know, he breaks his leg against yeah. this? It's, a, it's very specific examples. You could find so many of those where it's like, you haven't seen that, you feel feel casual. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's very much like that, that can go on forever. But if you don't respect that, what goes in behind the scenes, because what I despise is like just disrespect saying, Oh, you know, they're is that and the other thing. You're just like, Yeah, some people are a bit like cans or journeymen and stuff, and yeah, some of it is a bit embarrassing, but like at least appreciate what went into that, like the respect for it, you yeah, whether or not they get the result, but just respect that, you know. They had to like sacrifice to get to that stage. They had to sacrifice to make the way. They had to sacrifice to put themselves in that position. And albeit the performance might not have been up to your expertise, but at least appreciate, you know, that took a lot to get where he was. Whether you like it or yeah. whether it's good performance, another conversation. But that lack of respect and lack of just awareness as such, that's kind of my sort of mm. That's where the filthy casual comes in. But casual is like, I'm casual football fan in the sense I can name like teams in the Premier League. I don't know who's on which team. I don't know who's there now. The 4 yeah. Arsenal squad, I can name you most of them, but it's 2021. I don't think that's really relevant now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I get, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying. Um I'd go a little bit more to say that it's not so much a lack of respect to what goes into it. It's a lack of knowledge to know what goes into mm. the build-up. So it's a lack of respect when they turn around and go, Oh fucking that guy was shit! He should have done this, and they haven't got a clue what they're talking about. Do you know what I mean? That that's that's the lack oh, of respect. Oh, that's the worst. It's, it's, it's the lack of respect for anybody that steps in a ring, a cage, or on a mat. You know that that's that's what the, that's what I'd call the filthy casual. Is somebody that's got just the lack of respect for anybody who 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 does any sort of martial art. Um, and especially somebody that's going into a professional fight or, or even an amateur fight, to be honest, because, you know, uh, amateurs these days, you know, train as hard and, and as well as professionals, you know, y- yourself, for instance, you know, you train, you know, on the same level and, and with all the professionals at your gym and stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's that's the lack of respect that makes a, a filthy casual for me is when they go, oh, you shit, you should have done this. I would have done this. And they haven't got a clue. A normal casual is somebody that doesn't really understand what goes into it. They just see, they, they just think that two guys, you know, turn up, you know, they get put inside a, a ring or a cage and they, they have a fight. You know what I mean? They don't, they don't know how much goes into a fight camp, whether it's a, a six week and eight week or a 12 week fight camp. They don't realize about how much weight the person's losing and doing it in the, in the correct ways. They don't understand about, you know, water loading and then water cutting to make the weight. Um they don't understand, you know, personal sacrifice when it comes to um missing someone's birthday because, you know, you know there's going to be alcohol there and there's going to be cake on the table and, you know, you're dieting and you've got to stay away from the alcohol and stuff. Um and, you know, they don't understand that type of thing. And financial as well. You know, you got you got to miss, you know, Sometimes you have to miss out of a bit of work because, you know, you, you, you're concentrating more on a fight. That's that's what most casuals don't understand, Go how much goes into an actual fight. The filthy casual is definitely somebody who doesn't respect anybody who steps in there and is just like, oh, that guy's shit. You've just been knocked out. He, he, he must be shit. And that's, yeah. So that's how I would break it down between the
0: two. I mean, to say that a bit further again, like it's – even the things you don't appreciate, like selling tickets – you look me in the eyes, tell me when you're stressed out, cutting weight, you want to sell tickets. Oh, you tell that's, the- that's not. That's the hardest part of the fight, I'd argue.
1: Oh, I absolutely <laughs> hated selling tickets. It's the worst thing ever when it comes to any sort of like fighting. I hated it.
0: It's the worst thing. This is kind of it. This is where filthy casuals are sat in the other. Now, where we preface this conversation, this topic in itself, we know what we sign up for. Yeah. This isn't like, oh, woe is me. This is what we have to do. This is, you know. We take this sort of you know <laughs> the sweet with the savory as such you take the sweet and the bit yeah. and such you sort of you understand okay i want to fight okay yep. what do you want to how bad do you want to fight Do you want to fight it more than you want to eat your like treats and you know spend your time with your family um i guess so yeah okay what about losing loads of weight okay what about sparring loads? What about when you feel injured, you still got to train? What about getting called shit when you're not doing well? What about your internal self-doubts and struggles? What about, you know, facing everyone? What about losing everyone and facing everyone afterwards? Yep. you still want to do it? I said, I guess so. Um, <laughs> You didn't tell me that part. <laughs> then you keep going and going, <laughs> and going and going. But again, this is kind of the point. This is why you don't, they don't need to know, but they need to know, they don't need to know that they don't know. Yeah. That's half the battle in itself. And again, like, we know what we sign up for this. Isn't necessarily virtue signaling, but it's more appreciating the bigger mm. picture. This is why the casual argument is where it is. Um, this is another topic. This is a bit of a, a bit of a niche meme, but I thought it was hilarious. So there's the thing. It's UKPG Underground. I'm not sure if you're part of it on um, on um there's a recurring meme. So what it was, I don't know how genuine this was. So this 2 strike white bar gave this detailed breakdown about how um, a purple belt basically let him work and then he submitted him. And he basically was bragging about how he submitted a purple belt. He was sort of letting him work. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious because all the memes have been all about this. And I've got my answer to this, but how hard do you train with, how hard do you spar with beginners when they have that kind of response sometimes? And what's your general like rule of thumb? For someone brand new, you start around, we'll say straight jujitsu opposed to striking, just because that's okay. the conversation. So you slap hands, bump fists. Are you letting them know what's good straight away? Are you playing around? What is your rule of thumb for training with beginners? Um, I'm
1: a pretty relaxed sort of person when I do jujitsu to start off with, to... Um, <laughs> Whether To be honest, it, I do the same with everybody, um, whether it's a complete beginner or somebody that, you know, I know it's at my level or even a better level than me. Um, I, I tend to sort of go in and sort of like, you know, I, I do tend to, when I'm rolling, I do tend to give up bad positions quite easily um, and and sort of like let them attack me quite a lot and sort of figure out what they're going for and, and what they like doing and stuff like that. I'm kind of plotting my own little sort of like, scenarios in my head while, while I'm kind of rolling with them um, so if we're doing a five minute round which is your, your normal sort of like sparring jiu-jitsu sort of time period of rounds um, for the first two minutes then I, I don't really attack unless there's something really obvious and I'll jump on a neck real quick or something like that and, or, or if somebody makes a really stupid mistake then I'll you know put their head down towards me and I'm like cool straight on the guillotine sort of thing or, or you know if somebody gives up the back pretty easily then I'll obviously jump on it pretty Pretty, pretty sharp. Um, but I, I'm, I'm one of these kind of guys that I go pretty steady for the first few minutes and then sort of like slowly build it up. Um, but with straight beginners, I tend to let them sort of do a little something, um, let them sort of like, you know, whatever they've been learning over the, the last couple of weeks, I, I kind of let them sort of like go go into it, get, get the position on me and stuff like that. And then obviously, I'll just sort of like, I don't let them Tap me very often. Um, I'll, I'll let them get close, quite close to tapping me, as long as I've got enough wiggle room to get myself out. Um, just so they know that they have to work that little bit harder. That I'm not going to, you know, give up. If they're going to yeah. tap me, they're going to tap me. I, uh, but if somebody taps me, then they got me. You know, they didn't get me because I let them get me. If that makes sense. Definitely. I don't like the. I don't like the idea of, of giving somebody false sort of like a bit of a false ego that oh yeah i that guy over there when <clears throat> i've gone yeah cool just you know have my arms no problem um so if somebody taps me then they tap me but i do let them get in dominant positions and see what they've got before i kind of like go a little bit harder with them if that makes sense
0: definitely and where this gets lost in translation much like the preface of the whole jiu-jitsu meme and the Group chat thing. Yeah. Was purely the fact, again, someone purple up in the same kind of mindset of, you know, let you work, get a position, da 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 da. Okay, we're pretty much there. I'll let you do what you want to do. Oh, you got a submission. Nice one. See you later, mate. And then he's gone off and thought he's fuck. He thought he's the man. He's gone back, red panty night, cracking on. But yeah, <laughs> a bit opposite to you, in the words of the great Charles Sonnen, I can't let you get close. And <laughs> because beginners with a spazzy, explosive excitement, I don't want my knees, arms, or whatever else getting yanked and cranked. I yeah. will not mind getting in vulnerable positions, but I'm not going to let them get to like anything particularly dangerous as such. Because if I'm a bit late to the party, there's a good chance I'm going to leave with them <laughs> in a bad spot. And Jiu-Jitsu, so he's been on the podcast. He's a very big YouTuber. He you put a thing up about this. And it's a rule of thumb that basically when you roll with complete beginners, you basically sub them two or three times quite quickly. But then Arthur, do really flow real, because that way you know it's not a virtue. It's a, it's not a vice; it's a virtue. That okay, oh, will call a collar choke or whatever else. You know, okay, I could kill you whenever you want. But now I'm bli- now I'm being nice. Now I'm letting you work. Now we're playing around, and that kind of rule of thumb. Okay, you've not been hurt, but you know, this is how it is. Yeah, because this is whole thing. Well, I used to go so wrong at blue, especially was um, I'd be really nice and flowy off the bat, and everyone would take it as I'm just being nice, and this is you know how it is. But they'd see it as, okay, he's just shit because he's just let me get position. Because they've got to let people know what's up sometimes, I think. Obviously, it's an ego thing as well, but mm. it, it does rub you the wrong way yeah,
1: sometimes. I, I just do it in reverse. I kind of like start off nice and slow and then, you know, the last minute is when I'll be like, okay, cool, I'll, I'll, I'll tap you two <laughs> or three times in the last minute sort of thing. Like I, and, and then it kind of goes... It, I, I kind of... It's the same kind of thing. I kind of let them know... What it's about that I can sort of tap them whenever I want to, but I let them work first, and then towards the end of the round, then I put it on a little bit, and I'm like, catch them that, catch them with that, and then they're like, they're like, oh shit, yeah, I had a good start, but then he just like, he just switched the gear, and then he caught me. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit like that. I do let them know that you know I can catch you kind of whenever I want, but I, I let them, I kind of save it to the end of the round rather than the start of the round. Me, I'm a bit of the opposite way around.
0: Now a bit almost- reversed. What about with striking though? Because striking's a tricky one. So obviously with grappling, without the actual mm. impact as such, you can put be a bit heavy. You can take some weight off. You can you know hold position, not necessarily yank on submissions. Yeah. You can control without let them know. But again, do you get some overexcited beginner swinging for the fences, that nervous energy, <laughs> like, are you gonna chin them to make a point, or are you gonna like okay tell them to calm down? Are you just gonna like hit them a couple of times? What's your way of dealing with overexcited beginners when it comes to striking?
1: Now, are we talking about striking as in the sort of like kickboxing, boxing sort of thing, or are you talking about MMA where it's kind of rolling with strikes?
0: So what I'm going to give a scenario, you're a lovely knots MMA. I'm assuming you're doing open sparring at this point. Um, MMA gloves, usual seven ounces, shinies, gum the lot. Slap yep. hands, say, okay, your time has gone it's three minutes, five minutes, whatever you're doing. And then they just start, you know, really sort of explosive twitching, these sort of weird jabs or something It's a bit, or overhands, being a bit, you know, nervous, un- unbalanced, and just aggressive. Yeah. Are you, what's your rule of thumb at that point then? Are you going to say, okay, if you want to dance, okay, that's fine. Are you going to say, let's just take you down and smother you so you can't do it? What's your way of dealing with overexcited, nervous beginners?
1: Um, again, I, I think it depends on on the person. Mm. Uh, if I've watched them before, sparring with other people or something like that. Um but I generally don't go too hard in the striking sort of sense. I would probably, if we're doing MMA sparring, which I'm guessing we're talking about, um, I would probably, you know, land a few shots, double leg them and just, just bully them on the floor. That's more my way of sort mm-hmm. of telling them to calm down a little bit. You know, if, 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 we're, if we're doing sort of like nice sort of sparring, <clears throat> then I'll stay more standing up with you and we can both land decent shots and stuff. But if you're going to start swinging for the fences, that's fine because I'm just going to double leg you, take you down, sit on you and just, just, just slowly tap away for the whole five minutes in just kind of like a bit of a bully sort of state, sort of style. Just not bully as in like I'm bullying yeah. them, bully sort of like mentality of fighting, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, that, that's sort of my sort of, sort of answer to people that try and swing for the fences if we're doing MMA. Now, if we're only doing sort of kickboxing, it's a little bit different. Um, you know, again, it really depends on, on sort of their stature as well. You know, if they're a big guy trying to swing for the fences, I'm going to sit down on my punches. I'm going to throw overhand right straight on your chin and see what happens. Um, if it's a little guy, <coughs> um, I'm probably, if it's a little guy, I tend to sort of use the clinch a little bit more on them you know, bring him into me and sort of like knee the body and and, and work body shots and stuff like that. But if it's a big guy and he's throwing to hurt, then I'm going to throw heavy back on him, so.
0: Now, just to sort of clarify for anyone listening, when Carter says bullying from the ground and stuff, the way to really articulate this is when you're stressed out and you're really nervous, if you've been taken down and you're in that really confined space, it's very claustrophobic. So even little shots, like half-range sort of taps, they feel so much worse purely because of the stress and the impact and sort of anxieties and a couple of shots, four or five little taps like that. When like in your top mount, you are beyond gas, just on just pure fear alone. (laughs) And then by the time either you let them stand back up or whatever else, they haven't got the energy to be nervous energy. They've got to start playing nice. So they've got to either figure it out pretty sharpish. And the reason I'm asking these sort of questions, because again, these are fairly ambiguous kind of guidelines. Like when you say percentages, that's all your perception. And it's how you sort of measure this as well. Because, again, it's it's not so much to sort of, I'm the big I am, this is how it is. But also, these are real sort of issues. Obviously, these are like, you know, the good old days pre-lockdown. But this is sort of just general sort of faux pas as such and sort of things yeah. that people don't realize are things. And now, on the subject of COVID ruining the world, yep. <laughs> except, except the podcast world, because, you know, we're banging, we're loving life. But okay. there's the grassroots MMA. So in other... Countries they've got lifting restrictions, and mm-hmm. MMA is still training. They're still growing, still doing their amateur shows. However, the UK shows getting pushed back further and further. And obviously, the elite, the elite are allowed to keep going. The UFCs, the Cage Warriors, the Premier Leagues, all this sort of stuff. The elite sports have to crack on. Yeah. What happens then once those pros leave the UK, they go overseas, they retire? Then what? Because without the Amis getting the experience, are they going to jump straight to cage, K- jump to pro level? Are we going to have a different variation of this? What do you think happens to grassroots MMA at the minute now?
1: Uh, this is a great question. And it's, it's a bit of a sad question because I personally really feel that we are now going to be, we, we, we generally, we're, we're kind of on pause at the minute uh, when it comes to grassroots MMA, which is a real shame because, you know, all these guys that have been putting in the hard work over the last, you know, three, four, five years like yourself um, and, you know, fighting at a really good amateur level. Like I mentioned before, you know, I know a a thousand amateurs and some of them train, you know, as if they were a professional, you know, they're in the gym in the morning, they go to work, they're in the gym in the evening, they're they're eating correct, you know, they're doing everything correct. Even when it comes to fight shows, amateur, obviously we're talking before COVID, you know, they're, they're cutting the weight correctly, they're rehydrating correctly. Everything is pretty much on a, on a professional level, but they're fighting with a little bit more safety, which makes it amateur. You know, there's a slight variation in the rules, slightly bigger gloves. You know, the referees you know, are a little bit more inclined to sort of jump in and sort of protect them that little bit more. Um, but everything about the way they prepare for the fight, everything about the way their their lifestyle is when it comes to fighting and stuff is at a professional level. Now, I feel really bad for those kind of guys, because, you know, a lot of them, like yourself, you know, you've had a couple of amateur MMA fights now, and over this last year, you know, coming into this year, so nearly it's going to be two years, really, until we see sort of any kind of, you know, normality of, you know, if we we even get back to normality, it's going to be two years. Now, two years is a huge gap, you know, and, you know, some people are lucky that they are, you know, they are in a team where they are part of a professional, you know, fight camp. So they can still actually go into the gym and it's still uh, available for them to go in. And then, but then there's a lot of amateurs out there that are just literally stuck at home, not being able to train, you know, running in the park. Yes, they're still keeping fit. They're lifting a few weights in the garage. They might be lucky enough to have a heavy bag you know, and they've got one best mate that lives next door that they can do maybe a bit of jiu-jitsu on some mats in a garage, but it's not no way near the level that they need to be training at on a regular basis to improve their skills, to go up a level with with how they want to fight, if they want to obviously turn professional, or even to maintain the level they're already at. And especially after, you know, putting so much... hard working for the last three or four years. So I think the amateur scene in the UK is really going to struggle. It's kind of, you know, taking us back two steps, you know, two years of, of not being able to have grassroots MMA shows like Battle Arena and and, and other top shows. Like that. And even the Cage Warriors, they've got their own version of grassroots, you know, Cage Cage Warriors, local shows and, and, and you know, the smaller ones and stuff like that. Um it's, I think it's really going to be damaging to the, the UK MMA scene for the next you know, three, four years because we're going to have to then try and catch up. Um, I really hope that some of the amateur guys that were still thinking about having one or two or three more amateur fights before they turn professional don't think, sod it, I'm just going to go straight to professional because now I've missed out on two years of, of, of being able to fight at amateur level. Um, but it's not just the fact that not being able to fight at amateur level; they've not been able to train at any kind of level, uh, a, a good, a good sort of like frequency to be able to do it. You know, the you know even the sort of training when we do drop into the tier systems, you know, we can go back to the gyms, but we can't train like we have done before. It's you know even at the tier system, it's it's limited training. You know, you're either doing sort of like in your own little area and you're doing sort of exercises, or it's with you know, really small groups of like one or two people. And that's not enough to to, to, to maintain your, your level of MMA or improve, which you need to, to become professional. So I think it's going to be really damaging. Um, what's your thoughts on it being at that level where you are thinking about, you know, having a few more amateur fights and then obviously going professional
0: yourself? So there's a lot in this in itself. So from my personal perspective, where I am now, from my last two fights to my most recent performance versus where I am now, my maturity and evolution, I'm in a much better place physically, mentally everywhere than I was. Yeah. So my trajectory from where I was to where I am now, where I'm going to go is up and I'm feeling confident with that sense. However, without the platform to then perform and then get that experience in to really test what I'm saying, they're just words at this point. Regards yeah. of security to train properly, as to say, we've got bubbles in this, set and the other. Again, as people, I've had people comment on my thing, say, Oh, I hope you get COVID. I hope this, that, and the other. And the, the funny thing with this is, if I was registered professional, everything I've been doing would be classed as legal and safe and everything else. Yeah. But because I'm classed as amateur, like I could just book to say I'm on a pro show and I'm a pro, and then, Oh, yeah. no, you're safe. You're in gu- guidelines. Crack on. Nice one. Um, I haven't lost any friends. I've lost people on social media who I used to know, not friends. The big difference there, but of a conversation. But anyway, (laughs) Danny Mitchell made a very, very good post on this. It's a very short one-liner and it's spot on, which is this lockdown, whoever's still training will show you who actually wants it the most. Because what it's going to get rid of is the, the people who started training prior to lockdown with intentions to fight, you'll see how much they actually wanted it when these shows come back open because you get the whole, you know, you don't have to get ready if you already are ready. So stay are those kind of cliches and just staying in shape, but you know, as well as everyone else, you can do your five K's, do your 10 K's, do your circuits, unless you've been pressure testing, you're going to gas. I don't care how, what shape you think you're in. If you're in a bad spot, if you're inspiring, you're not relaxed, you're going to gas. And 100%. I don't care what CrossFit wads you've been doing. <laughs> you stick your snatches up your snatch another day, but but what you need, <laughs> unless you've been rolling, unless you've been sparring, you're gonna guess. And sure. the the difference between pro and amateur outside of the general skill set is the composure under that pressure. It's the decision making. We've we had fighters, I won't name names, but where their gap between amateur and professional is their ability to take instruction between you know, during the fighters and composure to follow game plans and execute these things. It's Oof. dealing with the pressure. Because again, skills are ambiguous. You get journeymen. I can go pro tomorrow, fight loads of cans, look at me on four and I was a pro. Aren't I good? Yeah, but that's, that doesn't mean anything. That means fuck all. I just take down guys who just want to strike and they get paid to be there. Don't I look fucking 12? That's not the point. None of that is the point. I want at least 10 fights before I go pro. Yeah. Like whether or not I need that to get to that level is not the point. I want the time in the cage. I want that effort and that energy. And to answer the question with the grassroots, it's a very frustrating time for a lot of reasons without the platform and the boiling point pressure to really see what works, what doesn't that takes us down a few steps, but in the same breath, it gives time to, you know, work on things, recover things nurse injuries, find interests outside of fighting. But even then it's just trying to find a positive spin on it. It's a shitty situation. But again, when things come back, you'll see who wants it the most. And those people won't be too far out of shape. They won't be they won't need the motivation. Motivation is like washing, you do it X amount of times a day, but you need discipline. There comes and goes motivation. You need to be disciplined. You need the bigger picture. Like I spoke to Sam Creasy about this not too long ago. And I made a, I spoke to him a very clear point. I said to him, You're not I know full well, you're not training for this session you're training for your career, you're training for bigger pictures, bigger things. It's not about the individual sessions. That's what no. gets you there. but That's what keeps you to the bigger picture. And this is what I say to people when they say like, how come you miss these occasions? Why do you make the sacrifice at the amateur level? Like you don't get paid for it, which is a very nice conversation to have. So cheers first. I'm not rude or inconsiderate, but you know, you're not kind of, that's fine. It's more so, <laughs> it's, it's big in that. What do I want more? This one training session or this night with my mates? You think, yeah. oh, well, I'm, probably my mates at that point, but you think, what do I want more? To win my fight or to, you know, see my mates saying, well, the last fight I won, I was over before I walked to the cage. So maybe not that. But what do I want more? Going out with my mates or not to lose my fight? Because losing a fight, I've been fucking bad after losing before, like m- mentally, emotionally. I don't want that. I don't really mind about winning. I just don't want to lose. Yeah. I don't want to lose. I'm not afraid to lose. It's happened before and it'll happen again, but I don't want it. I work so fucking hard because I don't want to lose.
1: Yeah.
0: Jiu-jitsu, you know, comes and goes, don't give a shit. MMA is so much more emotionally invested. And yes, you can say all it, it this, that, and the other, but you get in there, you put your heart and soul on something, you fucking get knocked out in front of your family and friends, cry your eyes out and tell me you want to do that again. And when you do, I'll fucking shake your hand and call you a liar, but yeah, I'll see you in the cage next time. <laughs> That's my response to that anyway. No, I-
1: <laughs> I get that 100% mate, yeah,
0: 100%. But yeah, there's a lot of it. I don't know where that went a little bit. The answer to the grassroots question <laughs> is I'm not sure. It's a bit of a pause, it's a bit of a shitty pause, but it's going to separate yeah. the week from the chat for a lot of it.
1: It is going to going to and tell you who, who actually wants it, who's still putting the work in, who's still sort of like, you know, even if they are sort of on their own with just one friend in, in, in their own little bubble, Um, you know, and, and they can't get to a coach, but, you know, they're using YouTube they're watching. They're trying to get new skills. Trying to add to what already they've got. They're trying to maintain what they've already got. Add to the skills they've already got. You know, trying new techniques. Trying new even even if it's on a on a bag, you know, trying new combos and stuff like that. That they can finally when we when we are when we do finally get back to you know some type of normality and gyms are allowed to be open and we are allowed to be, have contact with people that they can then bring into their game. As long as they've maintained what they had and tried to add a few skills, they're the people that are going to take it to the next level after this lockdown finishes when we can finally get back to you know having shows and having people there and actually making fights at amateur level.
0: <clears throat> now, for everyone listening as well, when these amateur shows come back and things start happening again... I urge you so much to support, share where you can. Obviously, some people are not not in the financial position with business and work and stuff, but shares on Facebook, tagging your mates, that sort of stuff. Because, again, it's one of these ones, like, you hear the same people talk about fires not getting paid as much, the same people asking for the links to the streams. Like, again, if you want to see the UK MMA scene grow, you need to support the local shows. You need to support these gyms reopening and stuff whether it's out of your pocket or not, sharing stuff, liking stuff doesn't cost you a penny and trying to promote. Again, it's a little thing. You don't know what difference that makes to the individual person, but any support you can give to these platforms helps the whole community as a whole. It it builds up. Prime example, you build up one show, the competitors have to step their game up to keep up with that and so on and so forth. The fight is, if you have just bums, you can get someone who's all right, go really far. But no, people who are all right get beat by people who are good. And people are actually good and legit and so on and so forth. It keeps going. You need this competition, you need the development, but we need at least a platform to start from. So whenever these things start again, again, like shares this, that, and the other, it makes a lot of difference.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Now, before we wrap up there, I've got a very stupid hypothetical for you, and I want everyone listening to respond to this it, because it's beyond fucking stupid. I think it's hilarious. So here is the horrible hypothetical. Would, okay. you ra- would you rather, which is the start of most questions, would you rather, <laughs> would you, would you rather shoot yourself in a cage during a fight or get a hard on at weigh-ins?
1: <laughs> Oof, wow. Yeah, um, you see what I mean, I, the
0: real questions.
1: No, 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 this is a simple one for me. I would much rather get a hard on at weigh-ins than shit myself in a cage.
0: So this is the common response I'm getting with this. But I say common with a few people with this, and the reason I say that is you you've got to own that harder. You have got to stare him out right in the eyes. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this fight. You are not excited as I am?
1: <laughs> I, I'm looking deep into that guy's eyes. Whether, whether it's you wink as well if or not, a little wink, little blow a kiss, or something like that. No, I wouldn't go that far. It might ruin the guy's you know mental still Yeah, so we'll fight at the end of it. So, um, but no, 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 hundred percent. I would rather I would rather get an erection at weigh in than shit myself in the cage. I can't think of anything worse than shitting myself in a cage.
0: Now, the counterpoints I've had to this is if you get knocked out over when it happens, you can kind of get like a pity kind of, uh, you know, it's just not his fault or whatever else you get the sympathy, but hard-on's a bit like, you know, you're, I'd be impressed if you could, though, because whenever, like, I've weighed it, you're depleted, you're dehydrated. If you could muster a hard-on up, I'd be impressed. You're some sort of superman, yeah. but...
1: <laughs> when i not in i did definitely did not have the energy to get hard on a fucking fuck you weighing
0: i could pass out
1: <laughs> like
0: that <laughs> wonderful and on that wonderful note guys any hypotheticals any stupid questions any sort of ambiguous questions like that them away it's been a really fun one thank you again and carsten social media fisticuffs underscore podcast for myself and for you carsten
1: carsten Langeois on facebook and instagram